having written that narrative around my time in a partial inpatient program, we had called it feeling school that helps disarm the doom and gloom of it and give us a little inside joke, especially when they're giving us the chisel tip Crayolas that you get in the massive boxes that they have for schools and the stack of handouts <laughs> with an emotions wheel. And then the safety scissors because it's a <laughs> partial inpatient program. <laughs> so it really brought home that vibe. It's the TMI Project Podcast, a series of stories about the too much information parts of ourselves we usually leave out because we're too ashamed or embarrassed. I'm Eric Harris. And I'm Kapalee Kalnick. We're your host of Season 5, Black Trans Stories Matter. Before we get started, just want to let you know that as the TMI implies, some content might be too much information for some listeners. This story includes some challenging subject matter, including suicide and suicidal ideation. Please experience with care. And remember, your support keeps our content free and accessible to everyone who wants to listen. So if you like what you hear and you're able to chip in at tmiproject.org, thank you. As you listen, please keep in mind this program was executed during the peak of the pandemic. The performances and interviews were all recorded over Zoom. While the audio quality may be a little lackluster, the content is gold and too good not to share. Let's dive in. Today, we are celebrating Eddie. My name is Eddie Masonet. I use he, him pronouns. I am from Boston, Massachusetts, currently living in New York City. I am a Black, trans, non-binary person, queer as well, and disabled. And I'm a storyteller as well. That's something that I do in different disciplines. I'm a dog dad. I have a seven-year-old chihuahua, potentially dachshund mix. She's like a little bit thicker than your average chihuahua. And her name's Twinkie, and I have her with my nest partner whose name is Dylan. I love her. She gives a lot of shape to my life that's very meaningful to me. Also, she's just a like, she makes me laugh a lot. Very often, trans, non-binary, and gender expansive people are forced to explain themselves in spaces where cis people do not. We continually have to prove our humanity. It is exhausting and sometimes dangerous. Usually when I'm crafting narrative, it's by myself or with one other person. And to have that process where I had this built-in receptive audience that I didn't have to prove of my humanity the way that something I might write for a general audience might have to, even for a minute, slightly decenter being Black and trans or queer or other identities in order to get understanding. It was just understood that those things were established as valid, important parts of us that were also worth being kind and conscientious with. Stay tuned after the story to hear what Eddie is up to today. Let's hear the full story. In the spur of the moment, I decide to support a fundraiser. There was a photo shoot there, and it captures a memorable milestone for me. I get the pictures. I am radiant in front of a yellow background, shirtless, arms at my side, smiling. I am warmed up, encouraged by the photographer and my friend. My not quite repigmented nipple graphs are bubblegum pink in the center, surrounded by an inconsistent ring of proper black boy areolas. 
Despite look damn good and put together, my eyes are heavy, somewhere else entirely. A few weeks later, I am sobbing on the floor of my childhood bedroom, calling trans lifeline. Suicide isn't necessarily a desire to die. It's an admission that something is unbearable and needs to change. It is the alarm bell. Doesn't mean you gotta do anything immediately. I call three times, no answer. The realization that there are too many people like me, like this, wins me. In a few days, I am in a waiting room, reading through a heavy clipboard of documents. I am sworn to confidentiality, punctuality, self-monitoring, and avoiding inappropriate language. Group members are not to touch one another, exchange gifts of monetary value, carry sharp instruments, or have substances. We are supposed to, quote, deal with difficulty within the group, end quote. In the moment, as it happens, I sign documents informing me they can send cops to my home for a wellness check. And so begins the partial hospitalization program for LGBTQ people, where from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., Monday through Friday, a varying number of us do five sessions of group therapy daily, in addition to individualized care. We end up calling it feeling school. I only see white people at feeling school, and I pray some of them are at least trans. I zero in on the black person also looking out of place. We make eye contact and some attempt at a smile. Neither of us want to be here. There aren't that many POC patients, no staff of color, even fewer black trans people. The two I meet on their first days, I, I want to protect to tell them that this place can't hold all of them and that it's no failing of their own. I say hi and sit near them, close enough. It's morning check-in and the few patients of color are calling the staff out on repeatedly allowing racial and classist microaggressions to go on without intervention. The comfort and quality of care for trans folks in POC was the price of assuming good intent and open discussion. I am shaking with anger and vulnerability from being so confrontational. Money compromises a therapeutic environment. How do we create important mental health spaces where people can keep their dignity and autonomy? My boundaries get stronger when I speak up. I learn to hold the duality simultaneously. One, these are trained professionals here to help me. And two, I am the expert in what I'm experiencing. I am able to discern what is relevant to me. Being a mentally ill teenager, I had been going along with what practitioners of mental health with their certifications and degrees said. Now I've learned to trust myself. I resolved to stop making myself feel bad when the program showed just how ill-equipped it is to serve Black trans people as whole patients. Another morning check-in. We report on our evenings, rate our mood, and report on the goals we set before. One of my peers, Jay, shows us two crocheted headshots, one in each hand. The room is smitten. At the end of the day, I slyly asked Jay if I could order a commission. They let me hold one and the heft of the beans in the hand-sized hedgehog calms me. She won't sell them, they shrug. 
just keeps making them and giving them to me, we head to our next group. I become teary at my friend's ceremonies, proud and sad. Sometimes I know insurance decided they were well enough. People who didn't have coverage left with massive debt or didn't get what they needed. That makes me cry too. Graduation comes for me, finally. A lunchtime ritual where feeling school grads get a silicone wristband, a certificate, and a few minutes of appreciation from the group. I hear my name and several people raise their hands to speak. See, an older transman of color who had become a bubble of safety and comfort, stands up nervously to read a poem written on the loose leaf paper they give us in program. At the end of the day, you came over my way. I wondered what you were going to say. What you said brightened my day. You said I gave you hope to have a family one day, but it's okay for now to have a pet anyway. I thought to myself, this guy's well on his way. Barely holding myself together, T's foam breaks me open. It's incredible how much more clearly you can see yourself through the lens of someone else. I think about my dog nieces and nephews. They also reflect back to me what they love about me without the constant murmur of my inadequacy. I now consider that the murmur is not necessarily true. At the end of my last day, Jay tells me to meet them off to the side. Make sure no one sees this. They shove something soft and dense into my hands. Here, I know how much you liked them. Congratulations and good luck. It's one of the best gifts that I've ever been given because it took me completely by surprise. It reminds me of the power of trans folks to make what we need out of what we have and how that's consistently a theme in my life. I name him Hedgie. He has no monetary value, but remains precious, appreciating each year I am in recovery. Thank you. Listen as Eddie explains how it felt to tell his story for the first time. It was very vulnerable, but I will say that after telling my story on Zoom in front of the the simultaneous like roar of the crowd and also the silence of Zoom, like <laughs> that that strange in between spot where the people are in the chat and we've already established being supportive of one another, I felt. I usually feel tired after reading. Like, it's not always, like, bad tired, but I'm just kind of like, ooh, I just did something. And we got to take a breather for a second. But it still felt important to have shared. It's really special that this experience that otherwise would have just been knocking around in my head for the rest of my life, bringing that out and shaping it with Capely and practicing it with everyone, just letting that out was important for someone, for a Black person, Black man, especially to make a really huge step in their life because it's hard to share. But I feel like me working through that in a safe space, just to affirm the decision of taking your healing into your own hands and admitting that you really, really need help and that it's help that you cannot give yourself and it's help that your partner can't give you or family member can't give you. It's that kind of help. It took me down to my very like 
molecules, like just completely, I was in a state of being broken down and just the simple fact of sharing that stage of being low, that stage of like deep reckoning of, wow, I can't help myself out of this one. Mental health awareness in the trans, non-binary, gender expansive, and Black communities is notoriously lacking. This is true whether you grew up thinking therapy was for others, ridiculed for seeking support, couldn't access the help you needed when you needed it, or you couldn't find a provider that looked like you. Something that was very important was the capacity between the Black masculine individuals to connect with one another and be supportive. Someone in our cohort had messaged me privately. This was another masculine individual who was just like, I have a loved one who is dealing with something very similar and really needed to hear that. And it really affirmed my decision to do it. Thank you, Eddie, for sharing your deep thoughts and Twinkie with us. Next up is Julian, who explores his identity in the shadow of a strict religious upbringing. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss it. I'm Eric. And I'm Kapali. Black Trans Stories Matter was created by barroom icon, actress, and TMI Project storyteller, Ms. C.C. Swazo. The program and workshops are led by me and Kapali Kalnick. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review wherever you get your podcast. It really helps. TMI Project is available to offer true storytelling workshops and performances for your school or workplace. This episode of Season 5 of the TMI Project podcast, Black Trans Stories Matter, is produced in partnership with Radio Kingston. It was written and edited by me, Kapali Kalnick. It was mixed and mastered by Stevie Mance. Our theme song is Secrets by Edison Woods. TMI Project's executive director is Eva Tenuto. Our operations and programs manager is Blake File. Our marketing and digital coordinator is Laura Marie Ruoco. Our graphic designer is Lauren Gill. In addition to me and Kapali Kalnick, our workshop leaders are Perla Iora, Haley Downs, Rain Grayson, Ray Lipkind, Dara Lurie, Julie Novak, Blake File, Eva Tenuto, and Micah. To learn more, support our work, and find a special writing prompt so you can start telling your story, visit tmiproject.org slash podcast. Is that a secret you're keeping?